0: Okay, Boker Tov, once again, we have the privilege of reading a double parsha. If you like one parsha, then you'll love two. And uh, we still find ourselves uh, not in sync with the, our brothers and sisters in the Holy Land of Israel because uh, they are actually two parshios ahead. They read Akhre Mos Kedoshim last week, which meant the poor kids who went on March of the Living and Hill's eighth grade class in Israel this past Shabbos had to read three parshios. And this coming Parsha will be Chazara, will be a repeat for them. But in any case, so Achari Kedoshim. So as is our practice, we'll review briefly the Parshios, the overview, just to remind everyone what we're going to be reading the Shabbos, and then we'll get into some specific verses. So Achari begins by recounting and recalling the tragic death of Aaron's sons. If you recall, we studied about that just a couple weeks ago in Parsha Shmini, how Nadav and Aviv died, what was the cause of their death. We saw a number of different suggestions. What was the source of the cause of their death? So uh, the parsha begins with uh, Hashem spoke to Moshe referencing this death after Aaron's two sons when they appeared before Hashem and they died. And of course uh, the Torah gives now the warning not to come uh, in front of the Aaron and so on the the level of reverence and awe that uh, that one must approach. And this is an introduction to the Yom Kippur service. Yom Kippur, the way we know it, the way we observe it today, is radically different than the way Yom Kippur was observed in the time of the Mishkan or in the time of the Beis Hamikdash. Today, we are all participants in observing Yom Kippur almost equally. Everyone's in the shul and we daven from morning till evening and we fast and so on and so forth. In the time of the Beis Hamikdash, the Yom Kippur experience was really led. And almost dominated by the Kohen Gadol, by the high priest. And the majority of the people were spectators. They were spectators in terms of the practice. Obviously not spectators to the process of repentance. Not spectators to the experience of renewal. But to the ritual and ceremony of the day, they were essentially spectators. So this is the parsha where we're introduced to what exactly the Kohen Gadol, what was the process, procedure, the ceremony of the day. So uh, the different karbonos that were offered, and as we read ourselves, the Anyam Kippur and Musaf and the Avoda, the Kohen Gadol who changes his wardrobe more often than a woman at a Pesach program, uh, constantly... Uh, going in and out of the mikveh and changing his uh, uniform, his clothing and bringing different sacrifices and offering different confessions and the confessions were recited uh, on behalf of himself and on behalf of um, his family and on behalf of the Jewish people. And then the Torah tells us about the lottery, the different lots they, the, uh, the Godol, Aaron would bring two uh, animals that looked almost identical and the only thing that separated them was lottery and there's an entire notion here about fate and destiny. Rabbi Salavechik had beautiful insights. And of course, one of them was destined to be offered in a holy sacrifice to the Almighty. And the other destined to be pushed off a cliff to pummel to his death. Peter would have a field day with uh, what was happening in Yerushalayim at that time. The incense service was offered, the Kitoras and the mezbah, uh, and... Again, the the Torah here delineates, I don't want to take the time to go into it because that's not what we're going to look at today in depth, but the different uh, parts of the Yom Kippur service. Then the Torah tells us the prohibition against eating blood. The commandment, not only are we forbidden from eating blood, which is an interesting commandment because I would think I wouldn't need to. Most people are disgusted by blood. Not only does the Torah say you can't eat blood, the Torah says it in a number of places. Not only does it say it in a number of places, the Torah says, as if you'd want them, as if you'd want to. Be very, very careful not to eat blood. Which, of course, Rashi quotes, is a reminder that if the Torah has to remind us to be so careful about something that we'd be repulsed by, all the more so we have to be vigilant, careful, uh for those things that we would be tempted by. The blood, these psukim are actually very significant. Kinefesh habasar badami. It's Pasuk Yid alf. The soul of the animal is in the blood. So in the discussion about the definition of life, how do we define life? Is it brainstem activity, cardiac activity, spontaneous respiration? So this uh, Pasuk is very, very relevant because the Pasuk seems to mention that life is defined by blood. By the ability for the blood to be flowing through the body, cardiac uh, activity. Hold on. So we're not allowed to eat blood. Not only are we not allowed to eat blood, we have to cover blood. When we slaughter an animal, there is a mitzvah of kisui hadam, of covering up the uh, of covering up the blood as well. Okay. Then the uh, parsha Zachrimos ends with the forbidden relations, illicit relations, relations that are immoral uh, and therefore forbidden. Um, and the Torah there has a whole list of them some of them are fascinating the prohibition of sodomy, of bestiality and the Torah ends with the reminder of the holiness of the land that the land cannot become contaminated through corrupt practice, immoral and unethical behavior, but that the land is, uh, the land can't tolerate it, the land vomits out, the land absolutely <laughs> dispels those that do not honor the values of the land. That's acharemos, which brings us to Kedoshim Kedoshim begins with the uh, commandment last year when we uh, studied this Parsha. We gave a broad introduction. Kedoshim has many, 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 many mitzvos in it. What is the common theme or denominator? to this long, diverse array of mitzvahs. So we spoke about the Jewish notion of holiness. Rashi, the Ramban. What is holiness? What is sanctity all about? How is it achieved? But anyways, that's the overarching theme of the Parsha. The obligation to honor parents, honor the Shabbos, idols, rejected offerings. You go through Parsha's kadoshim, and you have a long litany of mitzvos, all of them ultimately are about shaping, refining, cultivating our character. And as we spoke about last year in great contradistinction to American law where American law is concerned with not being a bad person Torah law is concerned with how to shape ourselves into being a good person. There's a big gap between not being a bad person which is relatively easy to do and becoming a good person which is much 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 more challenging. Honesty, integrity and so on and so forth. Morality, love, that's what Parshas Kedoshim is about. Okay, so I want to get into the verses we're going to look at, which are Parakutes, chapter 19, verse 17. 19, 17, page 660. Parakutes, Pasuk Yedzayin, page 660. Towards the beginning of what's normally Shani, what in the double Parsha is Chamishi. Okay, so the Torah here delineated a whole list of honesty uh, when we're dealing with other people. Lo sishavu La shaker. You can't... Don't steal and don't be dishonest with other people and don't lead people on and don't lack integrity and don't swear in my name falsely, says God, thereby desecrating my name. Page 660. Don't cheat your fellow man, don't rob. I think we discussed this last year as well, the obligation to pay a worker on time. You're not allowed to use somebody's services and not pay them on time. And this happens all the time. In Halacha there's big discussions about this. Withholding wages, being late with payment, it's the biggest to me, it's the biggest Shanda on the planet Earth that so many within the yeshiva system are complacent with the fact that their teachers aren't paid on time. It's it's how could you talk about representing Torah values when there's a violation of a basic Torah principle to honor people by paying them on time? And this fascinating discussion in Halacha. If you pay someone with a check you pay someone with a check at eight o'clock at night. Have you paid them on time? On the one hand, the check has value. On the other hand, you can't go to the bank and get the cash from the check when the bank is closed. So, all kinds of fascinating discussion. You could deposit, but it won't show up in your account. You can make fascinating dis- uh, all kinds of fascinating discussions within halacha. And then the Torah continues. You're not allowed to curse the deaf and don't place a stumbling block before the blind, which the Meforshim. Essentially, define, not as its simple meaning of literally putting a stumbling block in front of a blind person, but it means giving bad advice, misleading, leading somebody on. The phrase that appears over and over and over again among many mitzvahs which I might, uh, I might simply assume are based on seichel. It makes sense, don't trip a blind person. It makes sense, pay a person on time. It makes sense, be honest. It makes sense, have integrity. It makes sense, it's logical, don't lie. So I might assume all these mitzvos are sikhlios. They're logical. They're rational. You don't have to be a believer in order to conclude them. You could be an atheist. And it will contribute to a good society to embrace these mitzvos. So the Torah over and over again says interspersed within these mitzvot over and over again, is the reminder, Ani Hashem. Why are you doing it? It's not because it's only rational and logical. Because what happens when another society uses their logic and rationality to come to other conclusions? For example, Nazi Germany, 1938-1939. Why are you lost? Page 660. So why does... So, the Torah keeps reminding us, Ani Hashem, it's so easy, not easy, God forbid it's so easy, although we've seen throughout our history, recent history included, that it is easy for a society to apply its own logic and rational thinking and to come to grossly immoral, unethical, and genocidal conclusions. Nazi Germany was a democratically elected society. Hitler was elected into power. The laws that were passed, anti-Semitic laws, were passed by a democratically elected leadership and government. So the Torah has to remind us that even though, yes, these mitzvot appear sikhlius, they appear logical and rational, The ha me'elokecha ani If you don't live with a sense of awe that we are finite, limited beings, and these laws are omnipotent and infinite in, in, in nature, then we easily could deviate, we easily could lose these laws. So what guides us and what supports us in their observances is to remember that one has to live with an awe of the Almighty. He created us. He created this world. He knows how to achieve the ultimate meaning and purpose and the ultimate society. And, Ani Hashem. I am God. I am God. I saw a very disturbing study this morning which I tweeted and appeared on Facebook. Um, It was on NPR's website, so whatever degree that... It was a study out of Berkeley that said that the less religious people are, the more likely they are to be generous and charitable. Which is a terribly, terribly, terribly disturbing conclusion. One would hope and think that we who have Parshas Kedoshim, we who have Mitzvot, that if I could take an observant society and measure them against a non-observant society, not to suggest that a non-observant society or a non-believing society can't be good, and can't do good but one would hope one would hope that we would measure the observant society to be more honest to be more ethical to be more forthright to be kinder more charitable more compassionate more patient more loving less angry and so on and so forth but empirically we don't entirely find that why that is we could sit and suggest for hours is it because it's not a fault in the Torah it's the fault of those observing it I read a quote once someone said I love God I just don't like his fan club you know so maybe maybe it's not maybe it's not the fault of Torah it's the fault of those who are observing it maybe there's all kinds of influences that could suggest it but the Torah has to remind us that the purpose and goal of these laws is not just to contribute to a functional society but is to emulate and imitate the Almighty these are his values this is what he cares about this is his world So we're following a divine formula, not just our own rational conclusions. We're not allowed to pervert justice, don't favor the poor, don't honor the great, but rather all of our justice should be carried out with righteousness. With righteousness. That seems like it would be a contradiction. How could you achieve justice without righteousness? The answer is that the pursuit of justice should be with justice. Sometimes some, some people are so zealous in the pursuit of justice, they use unjust means to seek to achieve the justice. That's the beginning of Parshat Shoftim. It says, uh, Tzedek Tzedek Tirdof, which the Medjash understands, Tzedek B'Tzedek Tirdof. Righteousness with righteousness pursue. People violate And step all over righteousness in the name of some righteous cause. Maybe you followed the story earlier this week of one of the great spokespeople for anti-bullying who was giving a large public speech to a group of high school students from across the country, journalists. And in the context of his anti-bullying speech proceeded to bully anybody who embraces the Bible and its conclusions vis-a-vis gay people. And he used it to be degrading, disgusting, condemning, critical name-calling. He used his platform for anti-bullying to bully those who don't embrace his views of life. It made big headlines, right? So what's that? It's Tzedek bitsedek Tirdof. It's B'tzedek Tishpot amisecha. It's the idea that don't, in the pursuit of your just cause, trample all over justice. The ends don't justify the means but one can never ever forfeit righteousness and justice. So don't favor the poor. It's a very difficult thing. The judge is going to be tempted to sit there and the poor person, they're going to be predisposed to want to judge in favor of the poor person. And don't don't favor the wealthy. You may be tempted. The wealthy, it's easy to skew your thinking. The wealthy... Uh, Say something, and you're you know you're very inclined to want to uh, make them happy. So the Torah tells us, no, you have to stay true. Again, the Torah reminds us, Ani don't gossip. The explain, Rachel is like a uh, a person who has a uh, what's it called? Grudge. Not a grudge. A person who travels to, city to city selling their wares. They have like a, a cart person's got a cart, and they push it city to city, and they're selling their wares. Loselech Rachila, is someone who sells their wares. So don't be a gossip monger. You've got your, your cart full of gossip, and you go person to person, and share your latest gossip. don't stand on idly by while your brother's blood, blood is being spilt. Again, Ani Hashem, the reminder of Hashem. And that brings us up to what I want to study with you today. Oh, this was introduction. Pasuk Yudziyot, verse verse 17. Page 660 in the stone of Chumash. You're not allowed to hate your brother where? In your heart. Rather, in contrast to hating him in your heart, what's the appropriate way to interact? You shall give tochacha, rebuke, reprove, positive criticism, constructive criticism. And therefore, you will not bear a sin because of him. That's the pasuk. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Rather, offer some constructive criticism and by... Channeling that feeling you feel, the judgmentalness, the resentment, instead of turning it into hatred in your heart, channeling it into a positive conversation, constructive conversation, lo sisalav you will not bear the burden of a sin, namely, having hated him in your heart, because of his actions, which elicited that feeling from within you. What's going on in this Pasuk? Let's look at this Pasuk a little more closely. Look at the Ramban, hocheach says the Ramban, mitzvah acheres, another mitzvah, do Tokachas musr. Another mitzvah regarding our friend. We were just told, don't gossip, don't stand idly by while he's dying. And now also, don't hate him in your heart, but rather, share constructive criticism. Which, by the way, you can understand why it came after the last verse. Don't stand idly by, excuse me, while your brother's blood is being spilled. Now the mitzvah comes and tells us, the next mitzvah, Positively, constructively criticize him. Because not standing idly by while his blood is being spilt is not only a reference to someone's beating him to death, you must intercede, but rather, spiritually, if he's engaging in spiritual suicide and you have an opportunity to intervene, you cannot stand idly by. What's the end of the Pasuk, says the Ramban? You'll bear a burden, you'll bear a sin for the fact that you are quiet? Who says you're obligated to intercede? You come outside on Shabbos morning, your neighbor's lawning, uh, mowing his lawn on Shabbos. And we're not talking about, he's a Tinoxha Nishba, he doesn't have a Jewish education, Jewish background, Jewish experience. Somebody who knows better. You see somebody who is cheating on their income taxes, and you're going to just be quiet. Says the Torah, L'osisa lav it's your hate. It's your chay. Again, imagine the difference between Jewish law and American law. Can you imagine a secular legal system which tells you you're obligated when you see someone doing something wrong to tell them? But are you allowed a machine? No, no. That's to tell Lashon Har about him. A separate. separate. We're not talking about that. We're talking about to, to communicate with him directly. <laughs> The way Unklus interprets these verses, Losisa Unklus understands those words. al Delay, don't accept on his behalf Chova, an obligation knows you'll become guilty because of him. So the Ramban says, What did Unclus mean? You're getting his sin. He's shitting at his income tax. You're gonna get upstairs and God's gonna look at your spreadsheet. Uh Uh-huh, you went to the rabbi's partial class. Good. Get a check. Nice. You helped the old lady cross the street. Uh, Good. That was nice. You did that. Good. You put some money in the push. Good. You cheated on your income tax. You're going to say incredulously, I cheated on my income tax? What are you talking about? I was the most honest person in the world. I went beyond. Beyond question, to be honest. God's going to play back the video. When you were next to your friend in the store, and your friend said to the person, listen, if I pay in cash, could I get a cheaper price? And the person said, "Yeah, paying cash and that, you know, because I don't have to, I don't have to record the tax. Yeah, absolutely, you could pay less." And you just stood there humming and hawing and chewing your gum, and you didn't say anything. God says (coughs) that goes under in your file that you cheated on your income tax. You had an opportunity to interject, and you didn't. You bear the sin, as Uncle as Uncle said, "Los akabel al delay chova." You get the chov. It's your guilt because of him. The very next verse, that we didn't continue. Don't take revenge. Rather, love your neighbor as yourself. Again interjected. I am God. So the Ramban reminds us, why is it? Why is it that you bear his guilt? That you get upstairs and God says, you cheated on your income tax. And you say, did no such thing. God says, you had an opportunity to stop someone you didn't. You cheated on your income tax. Why is that? Because you were commanded to love him. Hating your friend is the equivalent of driving a Shabbos. It's worse than turning on a light if you assume electricity is rabbinic. It's, we have a skewed version of life, but a perverted, a distorted understanding of priorities. In God's book, hating someone in your heart not interceding to help them is a biblical violation. It's a love, loving your neighbor, caring enough to say something, is a positive commandment. Is a positive mitzvah. You have people who would never miss putting on tefillin or, or lighting Shabbos candles, which are all wonderful mitzvot, but they don't love their fellow Jew. Why the double language? Don't hate your brother in your heart when he has done to you something that you don't desire. So someone does something hurtful to you. Instead of going around gossiping about them, instead of bearing a grudge and a hatred in your heart, which by the way, in the end of the day, hurts you much more than it hurts them you're lugging around that grudge, which only gets heavier and heavier with the passage of time, ultimately hurts you much more than it does them. Why do that when you could simply go up to the person and say, hey, I thought we had a good relationship. I thought we were friends. Why in the world would you do that? Don't bear the sin by covering up the hate in your heart and not telling. It. So hochiyach, is in a double language, says the Ramban, because you achieve a double positive result. Firstly, you help the other person. You help them correct what they've done wrong. But the double language, hochiyach, tochiyach, is you've helped yourself. Because by remaining silent and passive and bearing the grudge in your heart, you will pay the piper. When you get upstairs and you didn't say something and you allowed them to continue to violate that and after the Torah has told you clear the air clear the air confront the person get it out there then the very next verse is don't take revenge because what's very likely to happen says the Rabban okay by confronting the person and by communicating by dialoguing about it you've gotten it out there you don't hate the person You know what happens every time you're in the same room as them? You're reminded of what they did to you. And you can't help but think this revenge. If they came to you, you're not so eager to help them. Therefore the Torah has to go out of its way to say, First, don't hate him. Second, confront him. Resolve it. Offer constructive criticism. Third, never take revenge. Don't bear the grudge. And fourth, learn not only to not hate him, not only to help correct him, not only to not take revenge, but find the capacity to even love him. that's the Ramban. Yes. Yes. Great question. So the truth is, we don't have the time now. We could spend hours elaborating on this mitzvah of Tochecha, which is counted as a positive commandment. The Gemara says, Kishem Shem Mitzvah, the same way that it's a mitzvah to say something that will be heard, I think it's an Erevin, same way it's a mitzvah to say something that will be heard, similarly it's a mitzvah to not say something that won't be heard. So it's very, a person has to be very calculating and strategic. When should you say something? If by saying something you're going to aggravate a person and a situation further and increase the animosity, then it's preferable to remain silent. So of course it takes a tremendous measure of wisdom. In fact, to be honest, our great rabbis, the Chazanish, uh, concluded that today we don't have the capacity to fulfill this mitzvah that this mitzvah is almost off the table altogether. We don't have the ability of we don't have the ability to offer tohocha. Why? Tohocha requires something that's almost impossible. You have to be offering what you're offering, you have to be saying the criticism you're saying because you really care about helping the other person. You're not getting a little kickback joy in criticizing somebody else. And you can't be guilty yourself of the very thing that you're criticizing. So it requires so many... Uh, preconditions that we almost can't complete it today. But the principles remain true. That if you're in a conflict with someone, they've hurt you, don't bear it in your heart. Confront them. Have a conversation about it. Get it out in the open. Don't seek revenge and even learn to love them. So that Ramban sees this series of psukim as not independent mitzvos isolated from one another, but as a progression and a string all telling us the response of how to deal with these situations. No, no if, if you've tried your hardest And the person refuses to listen Or to engage you Or to resolve the issue You've done, you've done the best that uh, you can do Khani, last question Then let's just hold the questions after this Till the end the, So this is different than asking forgiveness Which requires you to go three times So chiyach to chiyach You know, is, is, is a result oriented goal You know, whatever is necessary to say To get the person to, to hopefully improve To hopefully grow that's the, the purpose the Yorchaim HaKadosh also has a comment here says if your friend does something which really really is hurtful and cause you, could cause you to hate him don't hate him in your heart Ella. So notice the Torah says don't hate him in your heart I would have written the Pesach I would have said don't hate him can I hate him in my head can I hate him instead of my heart can I hate him in my foot instead of my heart? What do you mean, bilibecha? What does the Pasuk mean, lo? Sisna achicha bilvavecha. Don't hate your brother in your heart. Says the orachayim, it's not coincidental, it's by design. It means, don't hate him bilvavecha in your heart. Ella beficha, with your mouth. Dabere love, speak to him. Vomrahochach, Bachochiach. Vomravlosisalochet perish. Lo Tachlit bedaitcha shemash and, and a save meachacha asan. Vodeno amus Says the when the Torah says, don't hate him in your heart, it means specifically in your heart. Hate him with your lips. It doesn't mean hate him with your lips, that you should call him all kinds of names, curse him out, yell at him, talk Lashonar about him. It means, resolve the hate with your lips. Don't harbor in your heart, but go and confront, communicate, explain. What you did was hurtful. Why would you do that? Look at the impact it had. I don't understand it. And he said, if you do that, which is followed by you will find one of two results. Now, I would humbly submit that you don't always find. There's a third result you could find. But the two results he says are... First, And what is? why should you do that? I'm sorry, he also said... Because you should assume... Assume that the other person is not wicked. Don't prejudge. Don't prejudge. Now, certain things that a person could do to hurt you... It's difficult to be down like kafskos. It's difficult to even with the most creative mind... Imagine a circumstance... Where that person was trying to do something for the good. Nevertheless we don't always understand the shoes that the other person are in. We don't always understand where they're coming from, what led to it, what kind of day they've had, how they're feeling, how they may misinterpreted one of our own actions or misinterpreted something going on in their life. So says the Urachaim, one should presume that there's more to the story. Go b'ficha be- with your mouth Communicate, confront the person for what they did. And if you do that, you'll find one of two things. Either they'll give an amasla, they'll explain what happened. Oh, you interpreted my email this way? I didn't mean it that way. You misread it. I meant it this way. Oh, you thought that when I did this, I did it to hurt you? Let me. Ex- I see why that might have been hurtful to you, but that was never my intention. Either that, or the person's going to say, you know what, you're right. I regret doing it. At the moment I was just so angry, at the moment I was so frustrated, at the moment I... Whatever the case may be, and I regret it. So the Rahim says if you do an effective job of communicating b'ficha with your mouth rather than b'levavacha, rather than harboring the grudge in your heart, you'll find a person on the other side who will either explain in a way that you didn't understand or who will regret. So again, I think there's a third option that they'll tell you to get lost and continue the conflict, but... Maybe that means that you didn't communicate it effectively. <laughs> the Orchayim points out another anomaly in the Pasuk. It should have said, instead of don't hate your brother in your heart, it should have said don't hate it in your heart your brother. Right? That would have been the more appropriate way to write it. It shouldn't say don't hate your brother in your heart. Where does hate take place in your heart? So it should say don't hate in your heart your brother. So why does it change it? Finish the place where the hatred takes place, namely your heart, and then mention the subject of the hatred, namely Achicha, your brother. Why does it say, It should say, That's his question. Why does it say this? Because the Torah is trying to communicate the measure of hatred which the Torah says is forbidden. A person might think, you know what? You know what's hatred? You know what the Torah says is forbidden? For me to want to see that person die. I hope they drop dead. I wish the worst disease and uh, whatever on their family. That's what the Torah is saying. Don't hate another person to the extent that you wish them harm, that you hope they drop dead, that you hope they lose their job, that you take joy in their suffering. That's the hatred the Torah forbids. But to, to not like them, to tell people that that person's a bad person to not stomach being able to be in the same room as them that ah, that the Torah wasn't calling hatred that the torah is okay that's after all every human being feels that so Orheim says a person might have thought it's only Hatred of the magnitude of wanting harm that the Torah forbade, but eh, not getting along, not liking, not wanting to be in the same room, not accepting to go to the same Shabbos meal, eh, that the Torah was okay with. So therefore, Avalachalke Beleva in a Makos Achicha. Lomar, Beerach Ach you know what the real measure is of what's forbidden any amount of animosity that lowers that person from being "Ah, your brother someone you care about want to be around that's what's forbidden so saying I don't have anything against them I just don't go to Shabbos meals with them I'm just not interested in being with that person oh I don't have anything against them I just can't be in the same room the Torah says that in itself is a violation of this lo So why do we switch the words? It should say losisna es because it wanted to have sisna and achecha next to each other. To say any hatred which minimizes to any degree that person being achecha, your brother, that's what's forbidden. Figure it out. Find a way to be in the same room together. Find a way to be in the same mahjong game. Find a way to be in the same to go on the same cruise. Find a way because anything less than achicha is unacceptable from the Torah's point of view. Odiyeta, this is a longer We're not going to read the whole thing, but odiyeta. In the same pasuk we have, don't hate your brother in your heart, but rather rebuke, reprove, and criticize Ami secha. What's Ami secha? Someone in your Am. Your fellow man. Someone in your brotherhood. It's not Achicha means your brother. Feel, you feel as your brother. If you have concentric circles, Achicha is a smaller concentric circle. Ami secha is a broader concentric circle of those who are Ami secha, in your Am. So why does the Torah switch? Don't hate your brother in your heart. Rather... Reprove your fellow. How do you go from brother to fellow? <laughs> if you see the Gemara says, if you see a talmud someone whom deserves the benefit of the doubt, doing something egregious during the day, by night, don't assume they did something wrong, but rather assume they did tshuva. The Gemara in Pesachim says, Torah says if you see the donkey of your enemy, of the one you hate, collapsing under his weight, you still have to help the donkey up. So, how could there be somebody you hate? I thought you're not allowed to hate somebody. So the Gemara explains, no. It means somebody that you see a davar maguna, you see within that person something worthy of hate. The person has a corrupt character trait that's worthy of hate. So if you see a person, an average regular person, and they have within their character something maguna, something repulsive, despicable, something corrupt, hate that about them. But the Talmud Chacham, you think you saw something corrupt in them, assume it's been repaired, corrected, and they've done tshuva. So the first part of the Pasuk is assuming don't hate a Tamil Chacham in your heart. The rabbi didn't call you back, didn't email you back, gave a speech you didn't like. Don't assume he's such a terrible guy. Don't assume the rabbi sided with someone who you think did something to hurt you. But rather give the... I don't know if you can assume the rabbi is a Tamil Chacham. It's not always a safe assumption. But don't assume that this person... If someone, it's not only a rabbi, someone you know who generally is a virtuous, righteous person, give them the benefit of the doubt that, they, uh, that they've corrected themselves or that they didn't do something wrong. They are achicha, they're your brother. Laman hachai So the first part is referring to achatam chacham When it says, When it talks about rebuking, where you don't give them the benefit of the doubt that they've repaired, but you need to interject and say something to encourage them to correct their ways, that is not the Tamar Chacham, that is Hamon Am, that's the average person. So that's how the Archaim deals with the change in the Pasik from Achicha to Amisachah, that first we were talking about a Tamar Chacham, and then the Pasik switched subject to Hamon Am, somebody who's the average person. Okay, let's look at the Kliyakar. The Kliyakar... Rav Lunshitz also had something to say here. Pasuk Yedayin says the Kli Yakar, "Hochiach tochiach es <laughs> amisecha, v'lasisa lo avchid, davka amisecha be mitzvah tochiach." The Yerachaim also, the Kli rather also picks up on the fact that it doesn't just say "Hochiach <laughs> tochiach," reprove the person, constructively criticize the person it says to do that to somebody who's amisecha. Why? mekablim Because there are three categories of people who no matter what you say will not be receptive. So whatever conflict you have between you or whatever you've seen them do wrong, there are three categories of people who are incapable of hearing constructive criticism or criticism of any kind. Veheim. And they are, you ready? Roshayim. Wicked people. What does that mean? It means people who are corrupt in their core. People who are corrupt in their core. Somebody who's just a bad person. I don't know exactly how to define that for you, but you know who I'm talking about. Somebody who's a, not a good person who has bad habits. But a bad person, a mean person, a hurtful person, a bad person, a person who lacks integrity in the very fabric of their being. A Russia. So that Russia, there's nothing you're going to say that's going to inspire them. There's nothing you're going to say that's going to uplift them. There's nothing you're going to say that's going to make them say, you know what? That's an entire paradigm shift. I never looked at it that way. You've caused me to rethink my life. So don't waste your breath. And don't waste your energy. And don't subject yourself and make yourself vulnerable to what could be a vicious response. That's category one, where I will not be receptive. So category... What? Just don't make assumptions about a person's motivation. No, 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 but unless, if you know them to be a, to the type of person who's bad in their core, just stay away. Just stay away. Category number two are xilim. Xilim are fools, foolish people. Foolish people who live life carefree, foolish, not discerning, not, in, not, not rational. So they're also not going to listen to your message. There are people in life whose antennas are up. I would argue every one of you. You're here today because you like to learn. There are people in life who like to learn. And being predisposed to learn means that you learn from different ways. There are different communicators of that learning. We learn from books. We learn from classes. And we learn from many people around us. right? Which, of course, we're taught is the greatest way of learning. That who is a chacham? halomed mikol adam. Mishnah Perk says, who is wise? Somebody who learns Mikol Adam, from everybody. You might think, well, I'm much smarter, I'm much more accomplished, I'm much more successful, I'm much wealthier, I'm much more talented. What do I have to learn from? There's something to learn from a, a, a two-year-old. There are things to learn from a two-year-old. You can learn from everyone and everything with whom we come in contact. So, Eizu Talmud, Eizu Chacham, Halomeid Mikol Adam. And in fact, that's why we call a Talmud Chacham, a Talmud Chacham. My daughter Atar said this in her bat mitzvah speech. Why they call the Talmud Chacham? They should be called a Chacham. Because you're only a Chacham if you remain a Talmud. If you remain a student. So in Judaism, we don't call the person a Chacham, a wise person. But we refer to them as a wise person who's still studying. The moment that they're done studying, they're done learning, we don't have use for them. No matter how much they may know. Because we only respect and admire and ourselves try to become the kind of people who are life learners, always learning in life. So we can learn from so much around us. There are messages. I can give drushas that I'm not talking to somebody because they're great, and that person comes over anyway, Rabbi, I needed to hear that. Thank you so much. It's as if you were talking right at me. When that was the last person on earth I was talking to, they're phenomenal at the thing I was talking about. And then there's the person I wrote the entire drusha for. Their picture was on the corner of my computer screen as I wrote the drusha, hoping somehow I could impact them. And they walk up to me and they say, you know Rabbi, I'm so glad you gave that drusha. You and I get this. But that guy over there... You know, he has no clue, he doesn't understand. And it's so good that you, you said, my neighbor really needed to hear this drasha. So, so the Kliyak are saying that there are people in life. These three categories of people, they don't have an antenna up. They never hear life messages. So where are we We're getting up to? It. We're getting up to it. Hold on. We gotta build a little suspense here. So the Russia, the wicked person, the corrupt person in their core, the kseel, the fool, and the lates. Leitzim, you know what Leitzim are? This is my, this is the category which resonates most with me, who are incapable of hearing messages. You know who they are? Cynical, sarcastic people, people for whom nothing in life is serious, everything is a joke. Everything is a joke. Now those people, I want you know, I have the most sympathy for, because I find in my life. The individuals who are the most sarcastic, they are using sarcasm as a protective shield, because they are so insecure, and they are so fragile, and they are so negative, and there's 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 such, they're in so much pain inside that they can't imagine risking, exposing themselves to the real world, or real relationships, or real inspiration, and instead they create this artificial force field of sarcasm and cynicism. You all know the kind of people I'm talking about. Everything you talk to them about it's a joke. Sarcastic, cynicism. You tell them something good someone did, they have some sarcastic comment. You say something about ah, sarcastic. You talk about a meaningful moment, a trip you took your kid, sarcastic. Everything is sarcastic comment. So latezm to be a latez. If you're a latez, which could be laziness, which classically is translated as laziness. But it, Sorry. <laughs> the opening parak of Tehillim. don't find yourself sitting or dwelling among a group of leitzim. Vesi <laughs> says the kliyakar, Rachel, Resh, chaf lamen. Kemoshin <laughs> emar, al tokeah, Alto tokeah leitz. in Mishle says, don't bother rebuking a cynical person. And kseiv sil al Also in Mishlei it says, in the ears of a fool, don't speak. What are you wasting your time? A foolish, a person who's not listening to you, not digesting, not absorbing, not registering what you're saying, not capable of having an intellectual dialogue with you. What are you talking to them? And lastly is the Russia. So the acronym Russia and XIL and late is Rachael. Resh Chaf Lamed. Ki kolholech rachil sameach lo'ayid. U'kishuro adavar erva bachavere li olom ena mochicha lashiva midarka elaholech meragabo ki deilavase berab klono ki derech rachil. V'shalash kisuz elu moasim hatokacha alkein enchiv lochacha. These three groups moasim <speaking in foreign language> hatokacha they despise constructive criticism. It means they're allergic to it. They're absolutely, they break out in the hives if someone tries to have a serious conversation. Try to have a serious conversation with someone sarcastic. You'll find yourself over and over going, come on, just be serious for a minute. I'm trying to be serious for a minute. They're having an allergic reaction. They're incapable. A fool whose just mind is wandering, they're distracted, they're not with you, they don't understand what's important in life. You're trying to communicate an important message? Don't waste your breath. And the Russia, of course not. They have an entirely different value system. So these three, whose acronym is Resh Chaf Rachel, they are the ones who live life walking around selling their wares. They are the Balei Lashonara, says the Klyakar. And from the fact that it says don't bear their burden, it means that if you don't address people, you're going to bear the, their burden not talking about these three categories, back to a normal category, somebody who is open and susceptible to your message, why is it that I have to say my message? If I'm reading the Torah and I'm an introvert and I'm a private person, I feel, you know what, why am I obligated to interject in his life, her life? I I just stay to myself. God, hold me accountable for what I do. Hold me accountable if I cheat on my taxes. Hold me accountable if I speak Lashonara. Hold me accountable if I talk during the davening. Hold me accountable. But why am I obligated to get involved? God, what are you asking me to get involved? I'm a private in- person. That's who I am. I'm an introvert. Leave me out of it. Why are we obligated? So the answer the Kliyakar says is, We are all guarantors one for the other. You go to the bank and the bank says I'm not willing to lend you money unless you have a guarantor. You come to me and you say Goldberg, do me a favor. Would you sign as the guarantor? I promise you have the money. I'll be good. I'm going to pay it back. They're never going to come collect from you but I can't get the loan unless you sign. Do me a favor, sign as the guarantor. I say sure. I sign as the guarantor. Six months later... You're not paying your loan, and I see you wasting your money. You haven't paid the loan back, and you call me and say, What do you think of my new car? What do you think of my new watch? Let's go for a boat of sushi at lunchtime. I'm going to say to you, Are you out of your mind? If you keep spending like this, they're going to come collect from me. I don't want to have to pay your debt for the fact that you right now are being so irresponsible with your money. So if you're someone's guarantor, you will never remain silent when you're on the line, when you're going to be accountable, when the consequences hit you. So the Kliyakr says, that's how we should live life. So so too, if you see someone, we're all in the same boat, literally and figuratively and you see somebody who's acting inappropriately, you're that person's guarantor. You're going to have to pay. Now, if you went over... Unlike the... If I go over to the borrower and say, stop being frivolous with your money, and they don't listen to me, the bank doesn't care. The bank's still going to come collect from me. God is at least more compassionate. And God says, if as the guarantor you try to stop the person doing the wrong thing, that's good enough for me that I'm not going to come after you. Your obligation as a guarantor in Judaism is to at least... Interject when you see someone doing something wrong and try to protect them. Next paragraph. Mushal Mushlu Baza is a famous mushal of the Misha Mishakoderh Bisvina Tachtav. What happens? We're all riding in the boat together. We're on a cruise. We're on the Chazan cruise together. And I'm in my seat on the cruise. And I got a drill. And I'm drilling a hole under my seat. I love kolanshay asvina. Mazu atasah. Everyone on the boats going to start yelling at me. Are you out of your mind? You're drilling a hole on, in the boat? Hey, Shev Lohem. hello takhtiyah, What are you screaming? I paid for my seat. I'm drilling the hole under my seat. It's none of your business. Mind your own business. I paid for the seat. I can do what I want under my seat. Amru What's the rest of the boat going to say to him? When the water enters under your seat guess what? All of us. We're all going down. <laughs> so that's the imagery we are to have. You see someone doing something wrong they are drilling a hole under their seat and you're on the same boat and if you're not going to say something and stop the hole in the boat you're going to go down with the whole boat. Okay. Kuyakar also here goes on to long kluyakar. There actually were a few other things I wanted to say. So let's keep going. So this was the progression. You have a problem with your friend, don't hate him in your heart. But the Yarachaim said, use your mouth. Confront them. And Hokheath Tokyoch. Why the double language? The Ramban said. Because there's a benefit for the person you're offering the constructive criticism, and Tokyah there's a benefit for you. That you're gonna clear the air and that you won't bear the burden. Losisa don't bear the burden because as a guarantor, you would have to pay in heaven. You're gonna to have to pay the piper if you didn't intercede when you could. Next Pasak. Losikom velosi Don't take revenge. What's the difference between the and Natira? What's the difference between Losikom and Lositor? says Rashi. Losikom Amar Lohashi amar lo'lav Your neighbour comes to your house and says, Would you do me a favor my blender broke, can I borrow your blender? I'm sorry, you go to the neighbor, and the neighbor says, no. So the next day, your neighbor comes to you and says, my food processor broke. Could I borrow your food processor? You say, I'm not lending it to you, just like you didn't lend to me. That's Nakama. Nakama is when you deny doing something for the person that you otherwise would have done, but now you're not doing it for them, because they didn't do it to you, you were going to invite them to your bar mitzvah, you were going to invite them to your birthday party, but they didn't invite you to their birthday party. So now, now if you discover that they're not really your friends, so you don't want to invite them. Okay, but really they are still your friend. Everything you do, you're just not inviting them because they didn't invite you. So that's a Torah prohibition of nikkama. What's natira? <laughs> So today I went to my neighbor, I said, can I borrow your blender? And they said, no. The next day they come to me and say, can I borrow your food processor? And you say, sure. Unlike you, I'm happy to lend you my food processor. Isn't that amazing? You might have said, look, in the end of the day, you're lending him your food processor, you're a good guy. At least you lent." So Torah says, no, Natira, you're not allowed to you're not allowed to remind him that you're doing something he didn't do, that too is, is a form of revenge. That too is a form of revenge. Oh, there's so much to talk about, but we're going to be out of time. But let me tell you a few things very quickly. The Kliyakar here has a long discussion. What do you mean? God describes himself as a vengeful God. God talks about taking the kama against our enemies. So how could the Torah here be this anti-revenge group when we have an entire capital in Tehillim Kuf Mem Tes which is all about Nikmas Hashem and so on it's a whole capital about Nikama so the Kliyakar talks about there's a difference physical revenge and spiritual revenge revenge against somebody who, spiritually, who physically tried to deny you something didn't lend you the blender didn't invite you to the birthday party that's what's forbidden Because when you are willing to take revenge against somebody who hurt you or denied you physical pain or pleasure, you are setting your physical body as a priority. It's such a priority that you're willing to compromise your own self to take revenge against them because your body you value so much. You value the physical. But when someone has sought to hurt you spiritually, that means our enemies who seek to obliterate the Jewish people or who seek to lessen God's name in the world, that's not... A physical value, that's a spiritual one. To take revenge against them is to place a premium and hold spirituality and God's name, Kiddush Hashem, to a premium. Therefore, it has value. The Kaliaka develops this whole idea. You could read it inside for yourself. I'll tell you, Sefer Achinach says, You know why you can't take revenge? Very interesting. Sefer Achinuch Mitzvah Resh Mem Avash. Sefer achenach and Mitzvah Rishma Malaf says, you know why you can't take revenge? He says, if you take revenge, you deny God's existence. It's an unbelievable Sefer achenach. Why? Because let's say somebody hurt me. Somebody did something hurtful for me. Somebody started an entire email through the shul all about the rabbi and something bad about him. Let's say. So... If I now try to... I know. Let's say I know who that person is. I'm going to make sure they never get an aliyah again. I'm going to make sure they're embarrassed thoroughly. I'm going to make sure their bar mitzvah doesn't go as smoothly as everybody else's. I'm going to make sure... I'm going to take revenge. Says the Sefer Achinach. Listen to his words. I'll read it to you in the English. At the root of the precept lies the purpose that a man should know and reflect that whatever happens to him, good or bad is caused by the eternal Lord, blessed is He. From a human hand, from a man's brother's hand, nothing can be without the will of God. Therefore, should a man inflict suffering or pain on him, let him know in his soul that his bad deeds were the cause, that God decreed this above him. Let him not see see his thoughts to take revenge from him. It's an unbelievable say for I should know that nobody, nobody on earth could embarrass me by sending an email about me if God wasn't okay with it. So if somebody sent an email around that was embarrassing to me, It must be God-willed it. And if God-willed it, there's something for me to learn from it. So now, should I hold the other person accountable? Absolutely. Should I have the president of the shul call him in? And tell him and warn him and demand an apology? Absolutely. Sefer HaChinach is not suggesting that we not hold people accountable for their actions. Accountability is different than revenge. We hold people accountable, but never take revenge. Because to take revenge is to assume that that person had the power to hurt me and God's out of the equation. And if I knock out of the equation, I'm a heretic. But I should use it a moment of personal growth to say, if that painful thing happened to me, that individual embarrassed me in public or whatever the case is, it must be God willed it. There's something for me to learn from it. So I'm going to hold them accountable, but I'm never going to take revenge. It's a brilliant Sefer rachinach and it's an important Sefer rachinach in terms of our perspective in life. The last thing that I wanted to talk about, which we don't really have time for, maybe we'll start with it next year is Via Haftalarecha Kamocha. It's not a coincidence. Rashi says is God Torah, we all know the song, the statement from the Medrash Khanim. Rabbi Kiva taught this is the most important principle in all of Torah love your neighbour as yourself. How do you do it? It's impossible we can't love anyone as much as we love ourselves by definition but I want to just point out it's not a coincidence that Rabbi Akiva is the one who came to this conclusion Rabbi Akiva buried 24,000 students I can't shave my stinking itchy neck because Rabbi Akiva buried 24,000 students that's why we mourn during Sfira. why were they buried what did they do wrong they were learning Torah and they were observing Torah but they didn't know how to show basic respect to one another. And Rabbi Akiva, who lost and mourned and buried and saw what happens when people don't love each other, came to the conclusion, It's not a coincidence that it's the same Rabbi Akiva. Maybe we'll start with this next year. I want to get into how do you fulfill this mitzvah, it should say, Love your neighbor. Why live Re'acha? Love to your neighbor as you do yourself. Why is the Lama there? And lastly, Sifah had a brilliant insight that that statement, to Recha Kamocha" presumes, love your neighbor as yourself, presumes you love yourself. And many people don't take that for granted. Some have no problem loving themselves, need to learn, themse- to learn to love themselves a little less. But there are many people who beat themselves up and who think that they're not allowed to love themselves. And this mitzvah is teaching us, love your neighbor as yourself, begin by learning to love yourself in a healthy way and then apply that love to others as well. So we'll start with this with God's help next year. Have a great Shabbos. Thank you.